Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hey, Elizabeth. Hello, friend. How are you? You had sort of an exciting night last night. Oh my gosh, two nights ago, and I'm still recovering. And it is going to, what I did two nights ago is going to dominate my portion of this month's edition of our Watch, Read, Listen feature on Best to the nest. So get ready for it, Marjorie Punnett, because it's okay. going to be good. I want you to do watch first then. Okay, I will go first. And um, let me just tell you that what I did two nights ago was I went to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert. Okay, so she was in Minneapolis for two nights, Friday and Saturday night. We're recording this on Sunday. And I got to take my eight-year-old daughter, Bernie, to her very first concert. Oh, that's great. And it was epic. I mean, it was so epic, Marjorie. I can't even express to you how epic it was. You know, the bottom line here is that Taylor Swift is a superstar. She is the consummate performer, an incredible professional. She has such a gift. It was 44 songs, Marjorie, three plus hours of music, straight music, three plus. I mean, it was probably three hours and 20 minutes of music. I think there were 20 outfit changes. If I was, I wasn't keeping track exactly, but it was so over the top good the the dancers were amazing. She was amazing. Can you imagine how many lyrics you have to remember? And, and I know that she wrote them, but still, that's a lot. That's insane. It was insane. So I took Bernie. We were really lucky to get tickets. You know, these tickets, of course, everybody knows, unless you were living under a rock, that the Taylor Swift tickets sold out in record time. And it was so difficult to get tickets. My sister-in-law was on her computer all day and got tickets just as she was about to shut her laptop. She (laughs) was notified that she was in queue. And so she bought six tickets together and we were in the three hundreds. I mean, we were up there, so it wasn't like any sort of floor situation, but um, we were able to take my nieces and then me, Bernie and my sister So that was the group of six and we just had the most fantastic time. So I've been nonstop in Taylor Swift mode and my watch, my pick for this month's watch is Folklore, the Long Pond Studio Sessions, which you can watch on Disney Plus. Have you ever watched this, Marjorie? I haven't. You know, that's a great reminder. I would love to watch that. I was just watching Big Surprise the other night, Harry Styles um, in one of his behind the scenes sort of. not concerts but you know sort of a a studio episode which was great I love those I love so cool this is so cool it came out in 2020 and we really watched it and loved it and became obsessed with it Um, but what's cool about it is it's the behind the scenes on folklore and how 
she wrote all these songs. And then you hear from um, Aaron Desner and Jack Antonoff, who also produced this album. Mm-hmm. And they are super talented. Side note, Aaron Desner is the cousin of one of Jay's best friends who he golfed with yesterday, actually. Oh, that's um, cool. Because Aaron and his brother Bryce are members of the group, The National. And, um, they're super talented. And I just loved folk when she came out on stage and did the folklore portion. So basically the tour, it's called the era's tour because it's going through all of her albums and which of course takes you through so much of her life and, um, her personal life, her professional life. And when she would shift to a different era, the set would change, the outfit would change, Mm. like everything would change about the vibe and folklore Mm. is really her sort of like indie folksy album that one and evermore and folklore is my top favorite album of hers I could listen to it over and over again Hmm. and so when you watch the long pond studio sessions you can hear a lot about her writing these songs and they were folklore and evermore were a big departure for her because the songs are not about her life they're about these characters that she created and she thought that was very very fun and so when she does the folklore songs this little cabin with like even a smoking chimney comes out and it has like this grassy roof and she lays on the roof and sings oh. the songs. And it was just so oh. good. It was that so good. Great. And yeah. even if you're not on the floor, sometimes depending where you are on the floor, isn't such a great thing. Yes, if you're, you're right. way back, if you're up a little bit. And then I think anytime you're going to a, you're going to a concert in a huge stadium, it, it's the energy you know, I've been to so many big concerts like that and you end up watching sort of the jumbotron. You don't necessarily even look at the stage, but it's just that you're absorbing the energy of what's happening around you. And so you have to tell me, what was it like for Bernie? Well, there were highs and lows, Marjorie, let me tell you, because it was a long day and a long journey. Um, At one point she fell asleep. she was laying on me sleeping and I looked back and there was another mom with a daughter about the same age as Bernie. And she was laying on her sleeping too. And the mom and I just kind of like exchanged views. Now, overall, it was amazing. And she had a fabulous time and it was so much fun. But there was a point when she got, we got there really early. So we got there in time for the openers. And in hindsight, that was a mistake for her because, you know, my nieces are older and so they can handle like a long night. It was no problem. But when we got in there and the openers were on and it's very loud, she kind of started to shut down a little bit. Like, oh my gosh, what did I get into? This is too overwhelming. So I actually did. Here's a fun fact for you if you're ever at US Bank Stadium. And I'm sure a lot of other stadiums do this too. But if you go to guest services, they have um, earplugs that they'll give you for free. Fantastic. And so I went and grabbed a few, my sister and I went and grabbed a few pairs of earplugs and I actually put them in at the very beginning. It was, my sister-in-law was like, this is the loudest concert I've ever been to in my life. And Michelle like, likes concerts. Like she goes to concerts and that's hard for kids. It's really hard for kids. And so it was just like, Bernie had never been exposed to that loud of anything. And so then once we put the earplugs in and she kind of got acclimated and then I knew also she was getting hungry. And so we left and went and got her something to eat. And then she was like back in the game and she pepped it up. But there were a few minutes there where I was like, are we going to be Ubering out of here? Like what's right. going to happen? Right. It's hard to and, know. And will what I have built up as being the best night 
turn into something so sad, but we worked through it. I would say, and also in hindsight, I wish, and I will do this from now on, I would have gotten her some noise canceling headphones right, right. Um, to bring along. And then we could, then she could use them when she wanted. And then she wouldn't have to, because it just is so loud. And U.S. Bank Stadium is an extremely loud stadium. Like the first mm. time I went to a football game in that stadium, I was like, man, is this, this is so loud because it's the all sound glass ba- on the top. Is the sound bouncy? Is that part of the problem? Because there are some stadiums where it, and if you've been to a lot of concerts, you know what I'm talking about, where the sound's just really bouncy and it's not very pure. And that can, that can sort of increase the loudness. And then there are other venues that you go to and it's just, it's just different and it's better. So was it just bouncy like that? It's a little bouncy. I mean, I yeah. will say, I think U.S. Bank has really improved. I think one of the first, I think I went, it was Luke Bryan who was there like the first weekend. They had, right. The first weekend the stadium opened, they had Metallica. And then I think it was oh, Luke Bryan God. or it was somebody, it was another country. Maybe it was Kenny Chesney. I can't remember. Listen, right. all these country guys feel the same. And I go to a lot of these concerts. And I remember <laughs> thinking then these acoustics are so bad and then I think they made some improvements to them and were like working on ways to prevent the sound right. from bouncing so much. But it still is, you know, if you want to hear the music beautifully, like you listen to it with headphones or yes. with like a good speaker at yeah. home, you know, you <laughs> yeah. don't go to the stadium. Yeah. That yeah. being said, I mean, she, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And she sounds unbelievable. And she is, I mean, her cardiovascular fitness level. Yeah. I can't even imagine because it's not like, she's not like Britney Spears dancing. I mean, that's certainly not her deal, but she's moving and she's jumping and she is like hauling it across the stage. And then, you know, those outfit changes, you know, all of these things take so much energy. She's a freaking superstar. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I just, and how grateful she is and how you can see that she just like is so just she's so connected to her fans her mom was there lots of people were hosting pictures of her mom she posted that her dad never misses a show I mean she really I think she's probably been able to stay pretty grounded because of that but and and just the devotion that these fans have to her and then also I thought the really unique nature of just sort of this moment in time where there are a lot of moms that are my age that love Taylor Swift right. just as much as their daughters who are eight, 10, 12, whatever. Super and so to, fun. Get to have that shared experience where right. the mom and the daughter is equally as excited about the artist, I thought was really pretty special. I think you bring up some good points though. And this is a little off track of watch, we listen, but this idea of building up a perfect day with your kids. And I think you said it exactly right is that you have to be ready as the parent to just pivot. Mm -hmm. That if it's not going the way that your kids can actually handle it, that you just pivot and let it go as opposed to forcing. And I've seen parents do this and I'm sure I've been guilty of it where they're just, because it was supposed to be the perfect day, they just force it to be one way. And I think if you pivot, like if she was really melting down, it would have been understandable. And that you just say, hey, Bern, you know, we'll get we'll get a car and go home. And that was always sort of I mean, we would take our kids to so many things. I think Gar's first concert was Kiss with his father. (laughs) So but I don't think they stayed for the whole thing. You know, they went for a couple of songs. Yeah. He, He came back and he felt like he was, I think, five at the time. 
And he came back with his kiss dog tags and he felt so cool and so big. And if they stayed for four songs, I'd be surprised. But it was just, you know, it was just enough that it was sort of a cool experience and he still remembers it. But I, I just think you have to always be ready to pivot and, and yeah, to, you to, do. to see what's happening. I mean, you're looking at it like we need we need earplugs. OK, next time we'll need headphones because you're kind of like me where I loved sharing that kind of stuff with my kids. But it's not worth doing if they're not going to have fun doing it. And it takes a little bit of planning to make sure that they can adapt to it. It, no, you're, I think you're totally right. I think the tricky part as the parent is figuring out when is it time, like, is it going to blow over? Are you going to be able to solve right. it or right. are, is this toast? And right. I was trying to just like, let it, let it pass and figure, I mean, she was at one point, like she was the only person in the stadium sitting there sulking. Like it was really oh. quite shocking. And I was having a moment of like, holy buckets. But I was also trying to come at it from a, just knowing her and understanding, I think she's really overwhelmed. And I think if we can, if she can just be here and help with the earplugs and just kind of sit down and not have to stand up and be involved and just sort of sit, right? I think she'll be able to get through it. And then truthfully, I mean, she was hungry. Like she wouldn't say that she was hungry, but she was. Right. Um, and then once we got her some food, it was better, but I mean, this is why I became the family joke really is because this idea of, I think she was a little bit hungry and it's still a joke that I would always carry Clementines in my pockets. And, (laughs) but it was always because I was always, I was usually carpooling group of young swimmers, or we were doing something that was sort of above their skill level and hunger always had to be attended to. And so my pockets were always full. It was (laughs) <laughs> just because so it makes funny. a big difference. And and sometimes they won't tell you they're hungry. And so you just, you know, and I would always just have, and you can't at a concert because they're searching your purse, but it's good to know that like, she's hungry. She'll perk up, just get her food. But <laughs> I know, I know. A, that's a, what we did. Yeah, it's a lot. It well, mine is okay, what are you watching? Not nearly as exciting as yours, but lovely. There's a movie on Netflix right now called Living uh, with Ooh. Bill Nye. Do you know Bill Nye at all? The science guy? No, not Bill Nye, the science guy. It's Bill Nye. He played the aging rocker in Love Actually. Oh, yeah. Billy Mack, that actor. Yes. So he's he's a wonderful, he's a really a, a great actor, great British actor, but he's in a movie called Living and it's about a public servant. He's 73. The actor is 73. So he plays an older man who has sort of lived by the punch card his whole life. He's mm-hmm. He runs a civil servant's office and his life is dull and plodding and quiet. He's a widower and he gets a terminal diagnosis and the movie's about what he does after that. And it doesn't fall into the cliche of movies of that theme where, oh, now I'm going to check off everything on my bucket list. You know, there's so many movies that about that idea of what happens when you really realize that your time is limited Mm-hmm. which of course all of our time is limited, but when you really know it's limited and it does not fall into those cliches, it's just a lovely, lovely sentiment. And I think a really quiet take on what that means to reconciling a life that you may not have lived exactly the way you wanted to live. It's great. It's a great well, I gotta movie. I got to watch this. And if the end of your life, if you've 
if you've hit a point where you've thought you've lived the exact way that you wanted to, I mean, who are you? There's no one, not even Jesus Christ could say that even though well, he was perfect. Well, I so will tell end, you, he was probably thinking this ending is a bummer. You know? <laughs> I would say bummer is an understatement, a real understatement, but, but I, I will tell you something. There's a, a, a friend of ours in the twin cities, mother passed away. Um, a week or so ago and um stephanie march who she's yes. been very public about it so i don't think she would mind us talking about it but she wrote an obituary for her mother i'm assuming it was her that wrote the obituary she did and, yeah and she talked about how her mom who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness was reconciled to her death and spent the last six months surrounded and joyous and spending time with family. And as I say that, I'm not privy to the difficult periods, obviously, but there was an attitude that Stephanie wrote about in how her mom faced what was certain. And as I have been around many older people of late, there is something that's interesting that happens for people that have really lived their life well. Yeah, I find that they aren't as afraid of death in their old age. Mm -hmm. My mother who had quite a few regrets was very frightened. Mm. She was very frightened. And so I, I think that that's, what's interesting. And maybe that's why this movie was hitting me so powerfully is he was, he was fixing it. He was fixing yeah. it in the short time that he had, he was fixing it. And so it's, it's really, it's, it's wonderful if you haven't seen it and it's on Netflix. Oh, I got to watch that. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It's That's great. a good recommendation. There you go. Okay, shall we move on to our reading choices? Yes. What are you reading? Well, I think I mentioned this recently, and I wanted to um, just formally bring it up. The Paris Daughter by Kristen Harmel, which I read. Hmm. And I read this so quickly. And I read it because our mutual friend, Julia Cobbs, gave it to me to borrow. Did you know that Lori and Julia have like a library at their desk, Marjorie? Oh. And they will lend you books, but you have to bring them back. And they also <laughs> expect a full report on the book. And so it's not I with this. The strings are fully attached and I'm happy to do this. But before I went to Ireland, I had to pop over to the radio side of the building. I, even, I forgot what I was doing. And then I, um, Julia was like, do you have books to read on your flight? And I was like, yes. And, but she said, here's another one. And so she oh. gave this book to me. And then I ended up reading it actually after I got home because Shockingly, on that trip, I read nothing. Um, but I read Kristen Harmel's *The Paris Daughter*. I'd never read anything by Kristen Harmel, but she's read, written other books, and people absolutely love her. And I have to say, this book was so good. It was one of those books where I, the first night I started, um, I read it in two nights, and I had to force myself to go to sleep the first night. I wanted mm. to keep reading it, and it was I was taken back to like when I was in high school, and I would just stay up all night and just read. And it wasn't great because then I was tired the next day. Now I'm an adult and I need to make better choices. But um, it's set in, during World War II in Paris. And what's it's this really interesting story about these two young mothers who become friends when they meet in Paris. One's name is Elise. The other one is Juliet. And it is about the war. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but they have daughters who are born at about the same time. And as the war sweeps through, what happens to these families 
and um, one of them has to flee and what happens to the daughters. So it's, that's really all I want to say, because I just want you guys to read it because I just think what I loved about it is that it shows the complicated nature of friendship and it shows that a friendship can be one thing in one season and something completely different in another season. And I just thought it was a really lovely exploration of that. And I think you should read the book. I love that. I love that. Uh, and I love that Lori and Julia have a library. They do a radio show on My Talk 107 in the Twin Cities, and they have a book club on the show that they've had for years. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that they have a ton of books. That's great. I am reading a book by Roald Dahl. It's the wonderful story of Henry Sugar and six more. So it's a it's a collection of short stories. And Roald Dahl wrote Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He wrote Matilda. Are your kids into any of these books yet? Uh, oh, yeah. We've given them all of the Roald Dahl books. So that's probably the only one that I haven't read is because I haven't really read the short stories. But I am a like I am such a lover of Roald Dahl. I was a lover of Roald Dahl as a child. And then I've read the books all aloud to my children. Right. Um, all of and and I'm convinced I have this theory that if you loved Roald Dahl books as a child, you probably love Wes Anderson movies as an adult. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's a that is actually a a great um connector of those two. Um the wonderful story of Henry Sugar and Six More. It's really not a children's book. The short stories are very they're very can be very dark. And what's interesting is he uh the Rudolph Foundation or the company just signed or in 2018 signed a billion dollar deal uh for the development of that book of that book and those short stories and then some of his other works. The problem, and I was a, I was a huge Roald Dahl fan as well. What I have come to do because I'm in this program at Kansas State in children's literature, what I do now before I read, go back to the classics that I love, I look up the biography of the person that wrote them, mm -hmm. and it's beyond disturbing. Mm. And, I, and it's kind of heartbreaking. And this is sort of the debate within where I'm at school is within our cancel culture what do we do with these people that wrote the books that we love that are have really troubling pasts? Yeah. And Roald Dahl was a misogynist. He was an anti-Semite. The Roald Dahl Story Company has really tried, I think, to make amends and reconcile some of that. Right. And they've rewritten parts of it. So it's really, and so I, I knew that before I read these short stories, but it's, I think what is important I don't, I don't know what to do with all that information, but it's been so disturbing because the same, there was really troubling information about J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan. And there's so, so all of these things. It's complicated also because it, it just is. And you're right. I mean, then you, you can go down this line of like, well, who do we cancel and who do we not? And what was it enough? And when was it not enough? And when is it just, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. And what I'm reconciling right now for myself is knowledge. It's just understanding what I am reading and who I'm reading and what their motivations might be. And then and then there has to be a place for, I think, you know, obviously he, the, the Rudolph Story Company got a billion dollars from a variety of producers. I think it was Netflix that paid the money. My reconciliation is just understanding. And then on the Rule Doll Story Company's website, there is an apology for the yeah, anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a point where he was writing in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. 
and and even then his wife called him Rawl the Rotten. So, I mean, it wasn't like, apparently wasn't, I don't know if he wasn't a nice guy or in terms of his own family, I don't have any idea, but it's like at some point, if the company that owns those stories is making a reconciliation, is that enough? And that's the question. So, but that's what yeah. I'm reading. Okay. And then let's move on to what we're listening to. And I'm just going to say, I'm listening to the Taylor Swift era's tour Spotify playlist, because if you didn't go to the concert, that's okay. And if you <laughs> just want like a really fun, um, like a hit list of all of Taylor Swift's songs that take you through the eras, Spotify has the whole playlist there. And so you can just hit Taylor Swift era's tour and then hit play and you can live through it all. But I really do recommend particularly listening to folklore and evermore, especially if it's like a cool rainy day and you can be baking something. It's just really oh. the soundtrack of a lovely, lovely, cozy afternoon. You know, I downloaded fol folklore because you told me to. Yeah. So and good. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh my gosh, Marjorie. I know. Just I'll listen, listen to it promise today. me today. Turn it I will. on. I will you'll, you'll love it. It's it's very much just relaxing, like in the background music too. Oh, it's it's a it's a nice soundtrack. It's not so poppy that it, you're going to be dancing around. You're going to just be listening to it and enjoying it. Love that. Uh, I am listening right now to a series of podcasts called City Casts. I discovered this company, Elizabeth, and I'm obsessed. There is for people who don't pay a lot of attention to local news. Uh, there is a problem within the local news um, system. It's very expensive to collect news. There aren't beats like there used to be where local news really covered like the state house or they really covered, it, it's just the staffs have gotten smaller. So there's newspapers. I mean, Chicago used to have, I don't know, like five newspapers. Now mm -hmm. there might be two. I mean, don't quote any of those numbers, but, but, there, but local news coverage is shrinking. So this guy started this company in 2020 to do a local news newsletter, and then a podcast every day that deals specifically with issues for that city. Issues oh. and events and and it's wonderful. It's so I've been listening to like CityCast Philadelphia, CityCast Chicago. <laughs> it's really cool, but it's such a great idea. And I think they've only got six or seven cities right now, uh, but it's probably going to be expanding. So you can keep that it, it, wherever you are. Keep your eye out for it. The the podcasts in particular are just this great touchstone to, oh, here's something that's going on. It's hyper, hyper local. And I just love it. Conceptually, I just love it. So I've been listening to those. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah, then, you know, I'll add in a shameless plug for my own television station, KSTP, which is independently owned. And please do. Um, and really does. I, it really, I mean, and I don't work in the newsroom. So just to be clear, but I, I'm always so proud to see the resources that we still have because I fully understand the local news landscape. And then I know people who work at other television stations. And when right. we have a dedicated investigative unit, reporters who are on beats, when we have a political reporter yep. who's been in the market for 40 years, it's yep. really Houser, pretty. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And when yeah. people talk about this like mainstream media and everything is owned by everything, that's really not accurate. And right. that's not accurate where I work. People who live in the Twin Cities are really fortunate. A lot of smaller towns or even sort of mid-sized markets are not that, um, their newsrooms aren't that 
big and they don't right. have the resources that that some of the the newsrooms in the, in the Twin Cities have. So No, that's true. That's true. I do I think our local ownership makes a big difference though too. I mean, all I the other too. stations are or, in town are owned by big conglomerates. Yep. And and maintaining like the owner of the company I see in the hall. That's and great. That's that is a cool thing that I think we're fortunate to have here that that not everybody else has. But I love that you're listening to that. That's good. I got to check that out. That's yeah, very, you would very love it. it. Just as a from a from a journalistic perspective, it's just it's so necessary for some of these for every city really. It's so necessary, but they do it really really well. It's fun. Even though I am not a working journalist, I do have a journalism degree. Does that count for something, Marjorie? Does that count for everything, Elizabeth? Thank you. Thank you. I hoped that's what you were going to say. All right. I've loved chatting with you. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Give us a review at Apple Podcasts, please. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.